Hi, everyone, and welcome. And a special welcome to all new dads listening or new mums listening for the very first time. Thanks for joining us. We've got a great episode of Dadability today for you all. It probably answers the most commonly asked question that I get since starting this podcast and since having conversations with dads, mums, about disability, about autism, and that is, what advice would I have for new dads, just a diagnosis, or what advice would I give myself going back in time, everything I know now, to someone who just received a diagnosis? So if that is you or that is someone you know, then this episode is especially for you. This is Dadability, the podcast dedicated to the support and empowerment of all disability dads, to learn from each other by sharing our successes, struggles, and everything in between. For me, my son's diagnosis is ASD3, Autism Spectrum Disorder. I view Leo as autistic. Um, That was the original diagnosis that we received four and a half years ago, almost five years ago now. And um, subsequently following that, we also received a intellectual disability diagnosis, a moderate intellectual disability diagnosis, and now an ADHD diagnosis. So uh, there's now, you know, three different layers, if you like, to to Leo's disability. But I want to go back to the original one. Um, hearing for the first time that your son or daughter has autism or is autistic, however you like to refer to it. And I'll never forget it. It's tattooed in my memory. I, I pulled over on the side of the road Um you know, because a message came through from, from my wife saying, check this video out. I'm pretty sure this is what the pediatrician was talking about. And I literally remember watching a YouTube clip of all the red flags that <laughs> red flags that you, you know, your child is autistic. And I mean, Leo, it was like an, an exact mirror of everything that he does. And so even before the pediatrician confirmed it, I, I knew for sure. This is, this is what's going on with him. But what I didn't know is anything about autism. And that is very common with all new dads of diagnosis and new mums, so you're not alone. It is super common. I knew nothing about it. In fact, if you ask me to describe what does it look like, what, what, what kind of quality of life would it be, what does that mean for him, I had no reference point, none. And then when I started thinking about it, what does it mean, I was like, you know, geez, you have to go back to some really bad examples of Dustin Hoffman in Rain Man. That's a horrible example. And so I shouldn't have even brought it up. But yeah, that's just not popularized. It's not mainstream. Thankfully, now there's shows like Atypical, there's shows like Heartbreak High, there's shows that have kind of um, gone on to show and uh, represent uh, what being autistic might, might look like because everyone's different. Um, but I had no reference point, and that was one of the biggest things I remember struggling with as to I couldn't actually, you know, describe or visualize 
I knew my life was going to be different and I knew it was going to change, but I didn't know what was going to change. I didn't know to what level I couldn't describe. Yeah. Yeah. What, what Leo could or couldn't do, what, uh, you know, all those types of things. So let me get into the five things that I really want to share with you that I actually believe will, will be helpful. Um, number one, as a new dad, a new diagnosis, um, the first thing I would encourage you to do is acceptance. It's not the life you thought for your son or your daughter and your family. But as I said in an earlier episode on radical acceptance, um, if you don't accept the information and you refuse to accept the information or you pretend to live in a world where it's not true or it's not really going to be a problem and all these types of, you know, things that you might say to yourself, then whatever you're in that headspace, you're not able to work on moving forward. You're stuck and it might make you feel better for a week or two to be stuck and to be kind of, you know, ruminating it and, and victim blaming and all this stuff and, and, and the why me's and you probably will go through that roller coaster and that's totally valid and totally normal. So don't, I'm not saying don't do that. What I am saying is you need to get to a point of acceptance as soon as possible um, and come to terms with it that yes, life is going to be different. Yes, your son and your daughter um, will have a different path than what maybe you thought. But then again, you know, every single child doesn't have their path set out. It, it all is all a journey and discovery for everyone, regardless of whether you have a disability or not. So I think we can be a bit romantic about what we thought our children might do, whether they would follow in our footsteps, sport, career, um, whatever our talents are, whatever our interests are. And I think that's one of the things that shocks you the first and it starts to go out the window. Then you start thinking about relationships. Then you start thinking about job. Then you start thinking about where they're going to live. Um, and my advice is you don't know those answers yet. You don't know those answers. So stop trying to find them. What you do know is that it, it will be a different path. And what you do know is that the number one thing you can do is take some action forward. What is the best thing that you can do to help? And, and the reason I... I I speak about this so passionately is that I, I got to an acceptance point, I reckon maybe within the first month. And that is relatively quick from what I've heard. Um, and the reason I did is I kept going back to, yes, all the emotions. I was sad. There was some grieving about, you know, um, what it was going to mean. The fact I didn't know the fact it was going to be different. Like I, I, I absolutely, did all of that. Um, when I came back to, you know, reality and accepting reality and what it looks like, I landed on this very simple attitude, which I would encourage every new dad of a diagnosis to get to as soon as possible. And that is, what is the best thing I can do to help my son and my daughter? What is the best thing I can do? How can I help them? And sitting and wallowing or sitting and grieving or sitting and, you know, wishing it was different or any of those things, why me, um, doesn't actually help anything. Doesn't help anything to do with your son or your daughter. Um, so 
that's why you need to accept it because without accepting it, you don't help, you don't support and you don't move forward. And in fact, yes, diagnosis can come at all different points. Some of it might come young, like Leo was just, just over two when he was diagnosed and some of it might come a little bit later, but I guarantee you the quicker you can get into action, the better, the quicker you can start finding support. What do I need to do? NDIS, all this stuff that you need to start to get your head around the better. So acceptance is the first and foremost thing. Embrace it. And remember, it's not about you. As harsh as that is, and as challenging as that is, it's not about you. Yes, your life will be different as a dad, but it's not about you. It's about your son. It's about your daughter. And, and as a dad, I firmly believe we all want to do what's best for our kids. This just magnifies it by a hundred. You, you just really need to double down on that feeling and, and putting, focusing all your energy forward, not, not sitting and being stuck. Okay, so that's number one, acceptance. Number two, as you can kindly, kind of pick up from um, my passion around acceptance is number two is to lean in. And what I mean by that is be active, be involved, be an active dad when it comes to understanding your child's disability, if it's autism, if it's, you know, cerebral palsy, if it's Down syndrome, if it's something very unique, a genetic condition, whatever it might be. But man, you need to be active, um, be involved, read up, research, attend the appointments. Don't just assume that, oh, it's okay. My wife's going, I don't need to go. Yes, you do. You need to go. You need to learn. You need to be there. Um, there's a lot of information that gets um, explained at every one of these new appointments. They're all new. Um, you, your wife, your partner needs support. They need someone to also hear the messages so that if they forget, there's someone else that can remember. There's so many reasons why you need to be involved and be active. If nothing more than to support um, each other going through it. It is not something that you can handball to one person or one parent in, in the relationship to deal with. Uh, you know, you need to both be involved um, and both be there and both be researching and both be, you know, challenging and, and trying to seeking to understand, have a curious mind and lean the hell in. Um, hopefully I've made my point, but I, I, I'm really big on it because I'll tell you why I see and I've seen some family units with, with absent dads from, from helping out. And I see the load it takes on the family and I just don't, I don't get it personally. I don't get it. Um, I couldn't imagine another mentality, but for whatever reason is holding you back, whether it's denial, whether it's, you know, the lack of acceptance or, or, or whatever it might be, whether it's, any shame or resentment or whatever the emotion is that you might be feeling towards the situation you find yourself in. Um, none of those feelings that you have will change 
the situation that you're in. So all of a sudden gonna gonna change the fact that your son is now autistic. Um, so go back to number one, what is gonna be best for, for them? How can I lean in and how can I help? How can I help? Maybe you can help more um, you, your wife. Maybe there's one particular appointment that you can always attend and maybe your, your wife can't be there, but, but you just need to help and you need to be active and be involved. Um, Number three is early intervention. And this is kind of very intuitive. It makes sense. Um, it's actually the way the NDIS is structured. So um, obviously you get to understand the diagnosis. And then very shortly after that, you'd start looking at, well, is there any funding and is there any support that I can get from the NDIS? Do I qualify? The good news is um, having a diagnosis is actually the one, one of the most important things you can do because it then unlocks support. So I hear a lot of people that are, you know, I'm not sure, I, I haven't got the diagnosis yet, I feel like it's this, or that kind of um, self-diagnose but no official diagnosis because um, it's too confronting or, or whatever it might be. Get it, get the paperwork, get it in writing because it does unlock your funding and it does help early intervention. So by early intervention... There's 40% of kids on the NDIS under 14. And that is because the government specifically wants to front load um, their strategy when it comes to the NDIS funding. Their theory is that if you spend and invest more intervention, therapies, time, um, support at a younger age, you can improve the trajectory and quality of life um, and reduce the amount of support that, that people with disabilities need ongoing. You know, great scenario for the government is that um, everyone with disabilities is able to contribute to society by way of employment, by way of relationships, by way of social inclusion, all those types of things, because then, um, they, you know, they stop relying on, on, on support and payments uh, under the NDIS. So that's the government's mentality. It's great because, and, and you should fully exploit it. Um, there's actually studies that have been done by the NDIA, who's the advisory body to the NDIS. There's studies that have been done that support a number of 20 hours of early intervention um, for, for, for young kids under five that are autistic. 20 hours of early intervention. Now, I cannot tell you, a week, by the way, I cannot tell you any kid that I know that gets 20 hours worth of speech therapy or OT therapy or any of these therapies, I cannot tell you. But that is what the research has confirmed makes a huge difference. So um, we've had great success using that information to our advantage when it comes to applying for funding and unlocking it. But go hard early. Go hard early. Be on the offense. Um, be resourceful. Um, find ways to unlock. So there's a plan that you can ask for under the NDIS called an intensive plan. And it's a three-month plan designed deliberately to have higher support. So when kids aren't at school, um, you can actually find ways to provide higher levels of support to them because they don't have those commitments. So you might be able to find a range of therapies and support that can have them busier um, during the week and I would encourage you to try it and to see what happens. And yes, you know, it's not to overload the children. We have to be very mindful of that and be very personalized when, that, when it comes to that. 
but I would encourage you to look at what's possible. Ask for the early intervention plan. It's a three-month intense plan. They'll probably tell you it doesn't exist. Ask again. Ask to speak to someone who knows. Um, say that you know people that have got one and that's why you're asking for someone and demand to be put through to someone who can help. So it's these types of, um, you have to become an advocate for your children. You have to become an advocate because education is something that um, in the disability space that is, it's a limited resource. Some people are still learning and they're the people that are designed to help you. And so you might find something that they're not even aware exists or, or, or know they can do. So you've got to fight for it. You've got to advocate for it. Um, and you've got to, to, to really kind of um, be on the offensive. When it comes to early intervention and your intense plan, and even when it comes to NDIS meetings and plannings to unlock, you know, tell me a little bit about your son, your daughter, and, and, and you'll have to go through what is a, and this is something no one tells you, but it, it's brutal. You'll have to go through what is a three-hour interview. And I still remember the first time I did it for Leo, and I, I, was, I wasn't fully prepared for it um, because they ask you questions. Does Leo, can Leo point at what he wants? Can Leo wash his hands can leo kick a ball can leo walk upstairs can Leo and like literally think of everything you could possibly do in a day every function every fine motor skill every gross motor skill every personal care every hygiene every independence um and these these are the questions and you know we got some great advice early on and I want to share that with you. And the advice was the mentality of this interview as a parent needs to be worst day, no gray. So it can't be, oh yeah, sometimes he can do that. Oh, he's not too bad at this. There is, it's a yes or it's a no. And you need to always think of the worst day. Your goal here is to get maximum funding to help your children. So the minute you give the NDIS a glimpse that, oh, he's actually okay, or sometimes, sometimes, okay, fine, I've seen him do it once or twice, all those things, all those answers that are vague, that are gray, gray equals no funds. So you just got to remember that. So you're going to think worst day, on his worst day. So if he does kick a ball once, but it, there's five other times you ask him and he doesn't. If he looks at you and responds to his name once out of 10, that is no. If it's three times out of 10, that's also no. Unless he's doing it nine out of 10 out of 10, the answer is no. So you've got to think worst day, no gray. That has been a successful approach and mentality in order to unlock maximum funding. Um, so please, early intervention, intense plan, be resourceful, go hard, worst day, no gray. And if you don't get what you want, you can always appeal it. And no one tells you that as well. If you don't get the planning and the funding that you want to be able to do the therapies that you found, then appeal it and use the research around 20 hours of early intervention that is readily available. Um, you can get in contact with me if you need to find it, but you know it's there, you can use it and it's very successful. All right, number four, how are we doing? We're hanging in there. 
Number four, number four is 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 education. Um, I meant you know you can clearly see that um, I've been able to build up an inventory of education, if you like. Um, you have to research many, many, many things. Um, planning meetings, like I've just spoken about, is one of them. Um, therapies is another one. Um, like your child may respond better or worse to certain therapies. There may be certain therapies that you want to try, certain therapies that you want to avoid. Um, and it's important to look at it. You know, one successful therapy that we found for Leo, and we found it, it was a discovery, and we thought, let's give it a go. It's called Early Start Denver Method, or ESDM. It is solely responsible for Leo's social bubbly, energetic personality that he's got now. It's solely responsible for him getting his head up from looking at tasks and looking at balls and looking at the floor and objects to looking at faces. Without that, uh, you know, uh, we, we credit it every day. Now we stumbled across it and we tried it and it seemed to work. Leo responded very, very well to it. And so we ramped it up and we had intensive ESD and therapy um, multiple hours a day, you know, in, in his earlier years. Um, and we're so glad we did. Um, but that was trial and error. You know, the obvious ones are things like speech. Let me tell you, we, we went to speech therapy and, and Leo can't even engage with the speech therapist. So for us, speech therapy wasn't important early on. I mean, trust your gut here, guys. Trust your gut. Look at what's happening in the session. If you're paying for a 45-minute session, and your child doesn't even engage with the therapist because there's still, there's no rapport. They're not responding in terms of their communication skills yet. Then it might be a waste of time. Maybe try something else. So that was kind of the reasons why through our own trial and error, speech therapy, occupational therapy, the traditional therapies that someone with autism would have became less relevant for Leo. And he became solely focused on ESDM therapy and behavioral therapy. Because it was it was all the same goal. It was trying to help him engage. Until Leo could engage, no other therapy was going to help. So we found that to be very successful. Um, on our journey also, um, the most controversial therapy that you'll see out there that's very prevalent in the States is ABA. It's not as prevalent here. Um, it, it, it is a very um, polarizing type of therapy. I don't really support it or like it. Um, because it's quite a um, carrot stick mentality. Um, doesn't work for us. But I want to share with you the reason why we, we actually don't support it. Other than our own opinion, um, through education, you need, you need to surround yourself with people that have been there and done it, people that have gone ahead of you, um, parents, and the actual autistic community. So we started getting involved in actual autistic Facebook groups, um, and hearing their perspective, and it's it's very unanimous that people are now, um, years later as an adult, you know, really trying to help those that are now where we are by saying, ABA therapy destroyed me. I hate it. It, it. it kind of made me, forced me to get rid of my stims that are an important part of my regulation. It made me feel like I had to mask who I was, and all these types of feedback that you know you hear from actual autistics this is not my opinion this is from people that are actually autistic and and are saying hey i just went through it please don't do it 
please don't do it. I didn't have a voice then, I do now. So we took that stuff very seriously. It's up to you. It's your own journey. It's your own child. Um, you do what you need to do. You do what you think is best. All I'm saying is um, we wouldn't have had that information had we not looked at uh, in those types of communities and educated ourselves on who's gone ahead of us, who's gone before us, who can actually help us. Um, and there's something that's massive in the disability world is this concept of lived experience. And I'd really encourage you to surround yourself with information and people that have been there, that have got it, that have done it. You may not agree with it. You may not like it, but what it is, is lots of data coming at you from parents, kids, families, schools, people that, oh yeah, I've got an autistic brother. He tried this. I've got, I, I was actually autistic myself and here's what worked for me. It's just gathering information. And then someone's going to say something and you go, oh, I don't know what that is. Maybe I should look into it. I'll look into it. Oh, okay. Actually, that looks quite cool. Maybe I'll try it for my son, my daughter. So there's things that you can do that you may not even realize that you can do um, that will that will be helpful. So I'd really encourage you to to look into what they are um, and, and, and to educate yourself. Um, also on communication, communication, again, is something that um, – most kids with autism um, struggle with. It creates a lot of barriers and certainly for Leo behavioral issues and concerns. So I, I would say that um, to everyone listening, just do what you need to do. Explore all communication options. Don't put limits on what they can and can't do. For us, one of the best things we did was remove the pressure of Leo having to be verbal or having to talk about it. So I would encourage you to do something similar. Take the pressure away from having to have communication look a certain way. Maybe they use pictures. Maybe they use words. Maybe they use hieroglyphics. Maybe they use an iPad. Maybe they use another talking device. Maybe they just use gestures and pointing. It doesn't. Maybe they use sign language. There's so many options. Look at all of them. Don't get too hung up on thinking that it has to be one or the other. Um, and my last point, and maybe the most important is in terms of vulnerability, you know, as guys, some of you will have different levels of vulnerability and comfort in how you like to talk about your feelings, um, what's going on for you when you need help, when you need support and it's tough. This journey that you're going on with the new diagnosis, it's going to be tough. It's going to really test you. And I have to be upfront about that. Um, if you do everything I've just mentioned, it's going to take its toll on you. It can be draining, um, exhausting um, mentally. Um, it can cause some really you know, tough mental health challenges for you. So this is not to scare you. This is just to keep it real. There's no point telling you it's going to be all, all sunshine and rainbows. It, it's going to be hard, but you need to... You need to stay strong, but more importantly, you need to stay vulnerable. And being vulnerable is being strong. Be honest with how you're feeling. Be honest with how you're doing. Be honest with how you're coping. If you need support, ask for it. It could be at work. It could be at home. It could be from your friends. It could be from total strangers. But don't bottle it up. Don't be too proud. Don't keep thinking that it's all okay. I made that mistake. I made that mistake of thinking that, yep, I've got this. I'll get through it. I'll find a way. 
And I remember speaking to uh, using the Employee Assistance Program or EAP program, which some of you may have at your work. And I remember I called it one day and just wanted to talk to someone and they actually found someone who has lived experience with um, their brother who was autistic. And so I thought this was phenomenal. And this counsellor spoke from their heart and they spoke from their own experience. And, you know, it's a very cliche analogy, but it's relevant. And he said, Rob, this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. I said, yeah, 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 I know, I know, I know. He said, no, 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 no. Because listening to you, the way you're talking, it's almost like you think that you just have to get through the next couple of weeks or the next month and then um, it'll be fine. I was like, that's not how this works. This is lifelong. This is lifelong. So you cannot find a way to just get through it. It's not like studying for exams and then it's over. It's not like, you know, a big event you've got coming up and then it's over. Like it's not a find a way to just get through it. And then it'll be, it'll be balanced and back to normal. Like other things that you've probably experienced to now is this is lifelong. So you need to find the tools, you need to equip yourself, you need to be honest with yourself, you need to get the support and therapy and help that you need. Because if you fall down, who's going to be there for Leo? I said, well, yeah, yeah, I get it. And that moment really stuck with me. And it's always stuck with me because he's right. And I want to share that with you because it's, it's true. You know, this is lifelong. I have gotten better. I can give you this advice now. The only reason I know all of this stuff is I've got some battle scars and I've been tested. It's not easy. It's not supposed to be and it doesn't need to be. But you need to be vulnerable. You need to tell your work. You need to tell your friends. You need to tell your family. You need to fully accept it and lean in and be involved and get the early intervention and educate yourself. And you need to do all these things to be tough on you as a person but guess what you're going to grow phenomenally from it it's going to help you both personally and professionally in your relationships with yourself with others you're not going to realize it at the time but absolutely it will so there'll be something that becomes stronger at the end of all of this and that will be you but you need to do the work and you need to be vulnerable nothing Nothing comes from being too proud to ask for help. And you'll learn that you one of the best things you can do is to ask for what you need. Ask, uh, ask your partner, ask your wife, uh, ask your work, ask your friends. People are very willing to help. They don't know how. So you've got to ask for what you need because no one's going to be able to guess how you're going, what you need, what's in it for you. No one's going to be able to guess. You have to find a way and ask for what you need get control over your thoughts and your mindset um this is a a marathon it's not a sprint so you know for me meditation really helps exercise really helps time to myself really helps and i try and think about those things every 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 week to make sure i'm getting it because i can feel myself if i don't get it i start to i start it starts to become too much for me so you know find out what it is for you be vulnerable, get what you need. Um, and yeah, guys, so that, that's, that's my five tips, handbook, whatever you want.
whatever you want to call it, for new dads, new diagnosis. Hopefully it's helpful. Um, I, I'm certainly available. If you've got more questions and you want to ask, you can email me, um, dadabilitypodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can message me on the socials. I'm more than happy to connect with you and, and share anything that may be of use because I know I've been there. And as I said, one of the most important things you can do is surround yourself with people that have been there, just like I surround myself with people that are ahead of me because I want to learn from them and, and see how I go. It changes every day. Um, you know, you, you will become extremely resilient, but it will it will take a lot of work. So um, please ask for what you need. And if that means help from me or any other dads in this community, then we're here for you. So I... Uh, be kind to yourself. If you've got a new diagnosis, be kind to yourself. Go through the process. Um, and hopefully these tips have been helpful. Uh, and if there's someone that could benefit from this, um, uh, whether it's a mom or a dad, if there's someone that could benefit from, from what to do, and it, it is a very overwhelming time. So please share it with them um, and let me know how I can help. I wish you well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Dadability Podcast. I appreciate you. Sharing is caring. So if you guys liked it or loved what you heard, please, please share it with other parents who would benefit in listening. Or even better, write a review so you can tell the world why you love Dadability. Until next time, remember, be present, be brave, and be kind.